Hey moms! I'm April. And I'm Kat. Join us every other week as we analyze the trends and philosophies that have the greatest impact on the mother-baby diet across the pregnancy to motherhood spectrum. Sometimes we invite special guests who also question mainstream practices. And other times you'll get to listen to just the two of us, exchanging our uncensored opinions and anecdotes with a sprinkle of evidence, but only when necessary. Because let's be real, biological norms and mom's intuition do not need to be substantiated by mountains of scientific evidence. But because we can't help ourselves, we'll share it anyway. So, if you are skeptical of the medical industrial complex, find genuine fulfillment in motherhood, read package inserts, and align yourself with attachment parenting, you can consider yourself a fellow mom off the record. Hey, Rad Moms. It's April. And I want to tell you about a really cool episode we think you're going to love on Unapologetically Unmedicated, hosted by our dear friend, Fierce Lizzie. And this episode is especially great because it's featuring other rad mom, Andrea Haskins. It's episode 84 called Bye for Baby, Bye for Mommy. And in this episode, you'll hear from Andrea Haskins of Instinctual Mothering, along with Lizzie, about all the unnecessary consumerist products which aim to replicate mother and disrupt the mother-baby diet. Check it out in our episode show notes and let us know what you think. Hello and welcome to another episode of Moms Off the Record. You have Kat in April today and we're going to dive into all things baby led weaning, but Moms Off the Record style. <laughs> That's right. Because we think outside of the box. That's we think right. critically about it, mm -hmm. right? And we're not just going to follow any mainstream narrative around what and how to feed your baby. So many of you have expressed interest in this in terms of how we approach baby led weaning. We're going to share our tips, tricks, and secrets today. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think we should start by defining what baby led weaning is because when my daughter was of age, I told you that we were starting baby led weaning and you're like, ah, <laughs> we're not doing it necessarily right. Um, of course, you had a much better delivery than that. So let's <laughs> clarify what baby led weaning is and isn't because baby led yeah. weaning doesn't mean just necessarily introducing solids. There is a whole right. approach because it truly has to be baby led and Speaking of baby. Yeah, speaking of baby, baby led, we hear our babies. <laughs> she is. Yes, but yeah. I want to. I want to clarify for the listeners that I am not one to just tell April like you're doing no, it. No, of course not. I'm the type of person who says, "Help me, <laughs> tell me what I'm doing yes. wrong." So some some moms are super protective of their philosophies and approaches, and I'm one who says, "Like, tell me all the things," and then point me in the direction that I can study, and then I'll decide. Yes. And so when we started talking about baby led weaning, <laughs> I asked you, and that's when we uncovered, yes. I was maybe not letting it be so baby led. So yes. Okay. What so is that's baby actually, led weaning, Kat? Tell us. What is baby led weaning? So when in doubt by this, if you're, if you're confused by this term, just remember the baby led part, right? So baby led means... The adult, the adult can choose what kind of food and how much food and like what time the food is presented in front of the baby. But ultimately, it is your baby's decision 
how much and of what to feed him or herself. Mm -hmm. So it's baby led, meaning they are able to pick up the food with their fingers on their own and place it in their own mouth. And the reason we're so interested in baby led weaning is this is very much in line with, you know, just child led development, mm -hmm. right? And an attachment style parenting. We are not dictating or controlling of what the, our baby should eat. We're mm -hmm. leaving it up to them. And here's where it gets confusing with starting solids. So starting solids, all that means is instead of breast milk, right, your baby is eating any other food. Mm -hmm. It can be anything. It, You're introducing so food solids, outside of milk. Uh -huh. Yeah, introducing food. But starting solids can also mean introducing purees. It doesn't have to be a literal solid textured food, right? Mm -hmm. So just want to delineate those terms. Yes. So now it's important to discuss when. So back in the day, and you will still find some doctors and, you know, even mothers who recommend this, but back in the day it was advised that you can give your baby purees, so feed your baby purees at around four months old. So recent research has demonstrated that even if your baby does appear like he or she has a strong core and can sit up independently, you still want to wait until your baby is at least six months old. And I'll get into that too, before you introduce solids. Mm -hmm. And this actually isn't necessarily only because it could be a choking risk, right? If they don't have that strong enough core, they're not sitting primarily unassisted, but because they still have what's called an open gut. So whatever they're consuming that is not breast milk, right, is going to seep into, like, be absorbed in their gut in a way that is not easily digestible, which could potentially lead to things like allergies or different gastrointestinal disorders mm -hmm. later on. Not necessarily, but it could, right? Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to mitigate those risk factors. But the other reason you don't need to worry as a mom about your baby, like, having only breast milk for the first at least six months of life is because your baby is meant to survive and thrive off of just breast milk for mm -hmm. the six, first six months of life. Mm -hmm. You will still find some old school parents and nurses who are very worried about how much a baby is consuming and whether that's going to impact their growth rate if they're not eating solids at four months. You do not have to worry. Your baby will be fine. In all transparency, we did not start baby led weaning or, you know, any food with my son until he was about seven months and one week. Mm -hmm. And for clarity, so bo both our babies, both your daughter and my son, they fed themselves over 100 different real foods, not like packaged purees, but real adult foods that we would eat before they were one year old. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not a race, right? You're not in a rush. It's not like, oh, but my baby started at three months. It's like we're all going to get to the same end goal, but when in doubt, you're kind of better off waiting just a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Yep, because Eden was sitting up unassisted very early, and I thought that's all that it required of a sign of readiness. And I started feeding her little berries in those little, like, teether things, you know what I'm talking about, where you put the fruit yes. in the nipple and then they can chew on it. And then... She she seemed to love it, <laughs> but now I'm wondering if that sort of was the catalyst for some of her gas issues, because when she mm. was really small, she was almost colicky because of her gas problems, and so now I'm wondering, like, yes. did I do that? Was that me? So after you and I talked, 
realizing like, hey, maybe it's a little premature. Because she, she had tomatoes was her very first food. Super acidic mm. <laughs> when she was four <laughs> months old. So probably not the best thing. But she did go ham on the tomatoes. Now, another thing she I want to clarify is showing signs of readiness, like Kat said, sitting upright and unassisted. We want to make sure that the position in the high chair is taken into account as well, because there are a lot of high chair brands out there. And we're not going to sit here and say one is better than the other. But we do want to help moms to pick the right chair. And what your chair needs to do is to support your baby's feet so they can have a 90 degree bend in their knee. So if yes. your baby is showing signs of readiness, they're at least six months old developmentally, they're sitting unassisted and they can sit in their high chair. Now we want to make sure that their feet are supported. They might not be long enough. So if you need to put a block or a book or something to support the feet, that's really important. Do you want to tell us why? Yes, because this is actually going to mitigate the risk for choking. So think about it. They're a little bit newer at this age of sitting up unassisted, you know, upright for an extended period of time. Now, this might just be like a minute, right? Their tolerance for being able for wanting to sit in the high chair is pretty low. You have to work up that tolerance. But still, as they're exercising new muscles, right, they're practicing new skills, by having that foot rest, meaning their feet must be firmly planted, like April said, either on a book or a block, or some of the best high chairs will already have that adjustable foot rest. Whereas 99% of the high chairs, at least in North America, we've found are not designed this way. They're mm -hmm. actually not very friendly for early eaters. So mm -hmm. it will help mitigate that risk for choking. It protects their core. Think about it. When you are sitting down at your kitchen table or at a restaurant, unless you're short like me, where my feet never really completely touch the floor, actually just the balls of my toes. But <laughs> ideally, you're going to be most comfortable when your feet are firmly touching the floor, right? You feel more stable. That's what it mm -hmm. is. It's stabilization. Mm -hmm. Now, April, there's a couple other signs of readiness that maybe some of the moms out there aren't aware of that okay. we want to point out. So let's say your baby's six months old or just over six months, right? They're clearly showing an interest in food, which is another sign of readiness, right? They look curious. They want to put the food in their mouth. Okay, great. Now you have the right high chair set up. You want to make sure that their extrusion reflex right. is gone. Now, this is going to happen at a different stage for every baby, but one of the major reasons we do not want to feed solids to babies under six months old is because most babies under six months old still have the tongue extrusion, extrusion reflex, meaning instead of, you know, when you put food in your mouth and you're using your tongue to help swish it around in your mouth and, and chew it and swallow it, instead of that, you're going to see the tongue being thrusted out or pushing the food out. So this is very counterintuitive. It's showing the baby is not quite ready to swallow that food. We don't want to go against nature and force anything prematurely. So that's another sign to look for. Yeah, that's a really important one. Thank you. Yes. The other thing I want to mention before we kind of get into our approach is um, when we say baby led, we want to make sure that we're presenting a healthy, balanced option at every mealtime, but we're not yes. going to be playing, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not going to be playing like airplane or whatever it is where yeah. you pick up the food on the utensil and you play the game, woo, and you dance it around and you're trying to get them to open their mouth. That is not what this is, which is, was counterintuitive to me because that's what I had 
grown up seeing with my younger sister and what you see with all babies on shows. But truly, if you're trying to build a baby-led weaning approach to introducing solids, it should be them taking the control and them showing the interest, them pulling food up to their mouth. And then the last thing I want to talk about because this is probably the biggest obstacle I see on some of the Facebook groups I'm on or hearing from other moms is I'm scared to start because what about choking Mm. or what about Mm -hmm. allergies? So I want to get into choking versus gagging and then I want to talk about allergens and then we can get into like how we feed our child, how do we pick the foods, all of that, how we introduce one And restaurants, traveling, Mm -hmm. how do you continue with this approach no matter where you are, who you're with? And how do you stay the course? Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's talk about choking versus gagging. So moms, if you are just about to start baby led weaning or maybe you're pregnant and you're not going to realize this, but time's going to fly. Once you have your newborn, six months will pass. You're going to be in in this position. Yeah. So here's the thing. We just want to give you a heads up. And this is not to scare you. This is to prepare you. Gagging will happen. Gagging is good. This is very developmentally normal and healthy. So the biggest difference between a gag and a choke, simply put, is with gagging, your baby will quickly recover on his or her own. Do not try to interfere. You might be tempted to quickly, let me just stick my fingers in and pull the food out. You could actually cause gagging to lead to choking. So don't. Mm -hmm. So it's important for your baby to learn how to recover from a gag on their own, which they will very quickly. Their face might turn pink or red. Totally fine. Maybe they'll stick their tongue out, right? Imagine like you're gagging when you're brushing your teeth. It's it's like that. Once you get over the first couple of gags, like witnessing it, and it can be scary, you're going to feel a lot more confident. And then it'll be like nothing. Mm-hmm. Choking is very different. We'll tell you all, we should also tell you the top culprits of choking mm-hmm. so you know how to avoid those. But with a choke, it's often going to be completely silent. This is another major reason you do not ever want to turn your back to your baby, even for a second. If your baby's high chair, right, you want to have meals with your baby. This is the time to be all eyes on your baby. Don't go and like wash the dishes for a minute, then come back to your baby. Mm -hmm. With a choke, your baby's face will turn like white or gray and then blue. It's going to be totally quiet. You might think with the choke, you're hearing it. You're not going to hear anything, right? So again, don't have the sink on. Don't have music on and you're back to your baby. But also, this isn't to fear monger you. So we've never experienced choking with our children who are 15 months and 18 months. 16 and it's because months. She's 16 months oh, as of oh yesterday. My God. Well, two days. 16 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Miss Eden. Yeah. So our babies are well over a year old. We've never had any choking fears yep. or even near choking incidents. So... It might be common sense, but in case it's not, the foods you want to avoid with early eaters, and honestly, even until they have their molars, are going to be those rock-hard, crunchy foods. So I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about apples necessarily. I'm talking about raw carrots. Anything that's like in that perfect cylindrical shapes, right? So we don't give babies things like hot dogs or grapes that are not sliced. Mm -hmm. Grapes are safe, but you do need to slice them. Mm -hmm. We'll tell you how. Um, also you're not going to do chips, no candies, right? This is kind of common sense, but we just have to say it. Nothing dry, crunchy, crispy. And a lot of moms don't realize this. This is a favorite first food to offer. Even something as innocent as peanut butter, which can stick to the roof of the baby's mouth, make it very difficult for them to swallow. That can also be a choking risk. 
You can thin out peanut butter with breast milk, but or you could just skip yeah. the peanut butter. We we just stick to real whole foods, meats, fish, potatoes, but April. Yeah, I want to say too with the choking versus gagging. If you see your child gag, which is totally developmentally appropriate, try to minimize your reaction. So your instinct yes. might be, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, let me help you. And anytime that we get elevated and excited, we generally see that our children respond in the same way, which could have them inhale the food back and turn it into a choking hazard. So if you see the baby gagging, just try to calmly react and just witness them do the work. Eden gagged a couple of times in the beginning, and now anytime something goes down that shouldn't go down, she's so good at getting it out. And we probably shouldn't let her do this, but we do because she loves it and she's shown that she's capable. But we have these little hair ties, the tiny little ones that have like either a heart or cherries or whatever. They're like these little, I don't know, plastic pieces on her oh, hair yeah. tie and she chews them like bubble gum. I don't know why she likes oh, to chew boy. them. And at first we we're like, no, 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 those don't go in. But anytime she can spit them out. So we're like, all right, yeah. <laughs> we're going to let her do it because she developed that gag reflex. So try to minimize your reaction unless your baby yes. is visibly choking, which is a silent struggle and they start to change colors like white, gray, blue. That's when you want to intervene and you need to be Everybody should be trained in the Heimlich for babies just to be Yes, which is different from adults, right? So you're going to be doing back blows, front blows. You're basically, we're not going to go into the details, but you're basically going to be going back and forth, back and front. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you would have 911 mm -hmm. on the line while you're doing this, but yeah. you do need to act fast. Don't let fear stop you from introducing solids. Don't let fear stop you from yeah. introducing the whole foods and balanced nutrition, all of that. Okay. So, well, something else too, speaking of reactions, let's go down that path. It's a little bit similar to, I, it reminds me of EC where it's going to be very tempting and we're not going to tell you like how to react or how to, you know, change, but it's going to be very tempting to have this massive, like positive reaction too. And this might sound counterintuitive, mm. but it's like, Mm -hmm. job saying things yeah, eat more or like mm -hmm. yeah you want to try that so the point mm -hmm. is whether it's a massive positive or negative reaction we yes. actually just want to aim for more neutrality because here's the thing we don't want to give off the impression to our babies that good means i finished my plate because what if they're not really that hungry or mm -hmm. what if they didn't really like it and they're doing it to please us mm -hmm. again baby led means let them take the lead and also, this is so important. This comes up all the time. Just because your baby didn't like a certain food mm. one, two, three, even five times <clears throat> does not mean you should put a label on your baby and say, well, my baby doesn't like eggs or my mm -hmm. baby doesn't eat. Don't say things like my baby doesn't eat chicken, especially don't say that in front of your baby. Mm -hmm. I know your baby probably isn't talking Good yet point. at six months old, but your baby is going to internalize that. And I see even parents of toddlers, like four or four-year-olds say, she doesn't eat chicken. He doesn't touch fish. That, mm -hmm. that child hears you, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to they're gonna think to themselves, you're right, I don't eat chicken. That's right. Whereas, and th this is part of taking radical responsibility. Is it possible that the chicken we, pre we prepared those five times, is it possible that maybe it was too dry? Mm -hmm. Was it not flavorful? And 
could we, instead of offering only scrambled eggs, could we try poached, sunny Mm -hmm. side up? Yep. Additionally, let's say you've tried all the different preparations and variations of a certain food and your child's still rejecting it. Try it at a different time of day, a different temperature paired with other foods. Yes. Don't give up prematurely. You might have to offer this food, I'm not kidding, like maybe 100 times, Mm -hmm. but don't give your child a label. Right. That's Don't right. put your child in a box. You'll what carry you that. Like, that is such a good point, Kat. Good, good for bringing that up. It, you'll carry that. So I didn't eat seafood growing up. And then I just told myself I didn't eat seafood. And then everybody, oh, we don't go there because April doesn't eat seafood. And into my 30s. <laughs> I was not eating yeah. seafood with the exception of sushi, which it doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't until the opposite. Ba- baby led weaning where I was like, shoot, I don't want Eden to be a picky eater like I was as a child. So I have to introduce this fish and I have to show her that I can eat it too. And now we have fish in the rotation at least once a week. But it took me preparing it several different ways and several different mm-hmm. types of fish for me to figure out like, okay, it's not so bad. And I, I, I can't remember who I read this from. Um, but he was like, nobody has an aversion to a- any food. He's like, you just have an aversion to the way that it's been prepared. And you got it. Mm. And like, I don't eat tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. I'll eat tomato sauce. I'll eat sun-dried mm-hmm. tomatoes in my omelets. But I'm not going to go sitting here and like taking a bite out of a big tomato. So definitely right. try, 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 try again. And try to stop the talk about, you know, how we're pigeonholing our children. The other thing I want to talk about with baby led weaning, especially for moms who really prioritize breastfeeding. They're like, how? Mm. So in here in North Georgia, I had a mommy meetup group and it was held by the La Leche League at my chiropractor's office. And so I would go, it was once a month. I would go a lot when I was, you know, a younger mom. But when we talked about baby led weaning, the approach is to introduce your solids, but to prioritize the milk being their main source of nutrition for a while. Mm -hmm. So because your milk has all kinds of really cool stuff in it, which our listeners know at this point. So when you start to introduce solids, make sure that you're still nursing as your primary source or, you know, if you're bottle fed, breast milk, whatever it is, your milk comes first and then you want to introduce the food. And then once your baby starts to develop the skills, then you can do, you know, because when you start baby led weaning, you're not necessarily doing three square meals, right? You're usually just starting with two. One. One in the very beginning, but at least two for a while. And then when they're a little bit more developed, then you start to do the three square meals. And naturally, your baby's going to start to shift into eating more of the solids versus the milk. But (laughs) Eden still drinks a ton of milk and she's... (laughs) you know, 16 months old. So that that's another yeah. fear that women have is like, oh, I want to preserve my milk supply. I want to preserve my breastfeeding relationship. You absolutely can and you will when you introduce solids. Just make sure that you're prioritizing milk first in that very beginning stage. That is such a great point. And I just want to point out to the moms, think about before the invention of modern day supermarkets where you purchase your food up and down the fluorescent lit aisles <laughs> and before the invention of the plastic little baby pouches, what were we doing as mammals for hundreds of millions of years? How were we feeding our babies, our cave babies, right? What were we doing even 200 years ago? Well, I'll tell you what, we were offering our babies 
simply smaller portions of safely prepared food that mm-hmm. the rest of the family and the rest of the adults were eating, right? Mm-hmm. This is before the invention of plastic and like little baby food jars. Mm-hmm. And what else was going on at the same time? You have mothers around the world before the invention of you know commercial milk formula who were also preserving their milk supply while their babies were feeding themselves real food. Meaning, when in doubt, we can look back and see what was happening in nature. How are these babies and eventually toddlers able to eat three square meals and snacks and also nurse? It's because nature is not dumb. Right. As long as your baby's going to the breast, like, right, your baby is not going to get a ton of milk when they're two and a half years old versus six months old. But as long as they're still going to the breast, even if it's just once a day at that point, you're still going to have a milk Mm -hmm. supply if you choose to do extended breastfeeding. That's right. And you don't have to worry about timing like oh I got a nurse every two or three hours like the weaning part is very natural it just kind of you shift and like you'll start to drop a feed throughout the day and you don't have to obsess over which one or how much time like your baby will communicate with you like always yes one other thing I want to talk about allergens because this is another big Mm -hmm. obstacle for moms is they're afraid that oh I don't want to do baby led weaning because I don't want my son or daughter to develop a food allergy so let's talk about that okay so oftentimes we're gonna go over a myth now I'm gonna be up front I I'm kind of weird in that, and I think I'm biased because I never had any food allergies. My husband has no food allergies. We don't come from a food allergen family at all. So I actually didn't enter baby-led weaning with this fear Mm -hmm. that my son would have food allergies. But I do see it's more common now, and I'm going to tell you my theories. It's way more common, I think, amongst our generation and Gen Z moms to have these big fears around food allergies and I think because we've talked about this in other episodes. We know why. With all the that, va- yeah, we know exactly why. The vaccines, right? Like, why is it that when children enter school nowadays or for the last, let's call it 20 years, you have the peanut allergy-free tables, right? And at schools, they'll be like, no egg, no peanut, no this, no that. Whereas when I was going to school, that wasn't a thing. So I think that that has instilled this cultural fear of, My baby's going to have a nut allergy and an egg allergy Mm -hmm. and a shellfish allergy. So here's the deal, moms. There's, I want to say as of this recording, there's probably like nine top food allergens. Does that mean that your baby's, you know, does that mean that banana isn't considered a food allergy? No. Your baby can have all sorts of allergies. But the top ones are going to be like peanut, trina, shellfish, dairy, soy, egg, I know I'm leaving a few out because I said Mm -hmm. there's nine. This is just what comes to mind. Now, if you go to even, honestly, a very modern, crunchy pediatrician, the thing is they're not going to have the same credentials or new research expertise as, like, let's say, a pediatric registered dietitian. Your pediatrician might say, only introduce one food at a time, like, so that you can, like, or and wait a few days. They might say, wait three to five days before introducing a new potential food allergen um, in case your baby has a reaction. But here's mm-hmm. the truth. Meanwhile, they'll you don't recommend have to that you get a trivalent vaccine in addition to five other ones at the same time. Makes no sense. But. Correct. So you really have to question that as well. That's like the biggest joke in the crunchy mom community. But you actually don't have to wait the three to five days. That is a myth. 
Mm-hmm. 99% of pediatricians will tell you this. You also don't need to go to your pediatrician to outsource like your baby led questions to your Yeah, or to pedi- ask if they're you ready. You don't have to. You know yeah. your baby's ready. So you're, yeah. Yeah, your baby, what, your, your doctor is going to clear your baby to start solid. Your doctor didn't get pediatric registered dietitian, you know, lessons in school. I'm sorry. So think about it. They're a generalist. They're not a specialist. They generally understand how babies need to eat. They don't know the niche details. That's right. But the point is, you don't need to wait the three to five days before introducing different food allergens. The reason is, you're going to see instantly if your baby had an allergic reaction. It's going to be blatantly clear. Mm -hmm. You don't need to wait. So Um, let's talk about the approach that we both learned because we did the baby-led weaning made easy program led by Mm -hmm. Katie Ferraro, which we 10 out of 10 recommend. It's an incredibly comprehensive course and you learn all the things. There's some things that we pick and choose out of that though. But when Katie talks about potential allergens, she will say to wait until the weekend so you have full observation and you do introduce one potential allergen all weekend. So let's Mm -hmm. say we want to try a peanut allergy. So you might mix in peanut butter thinned out with your breast milk into your baby's yogurt or however you want to introduce that. And you're going to do it at all mealtimes throughout that day on both days of the weekend because you will notice, like Kat said, immediately if your baby's developing a reaction and you'll know that we've isolated it to this one. So you're not going to start introducing a bunch of potential allergens all at once. So just make sure. And if you do Katie's program, she has a list of all the potential allergens and when to introduce them. So she does develop a you know, day by day guide as you start, and then also offers like meal combination suggestions and all of that. But waiting till you have full observation and introducing it throughout each mealtime, both days of the weekend, which was I thought a really helpful tip. Yes. Now there's something. So we're, we talked about Katie Ferraro's program, and we do highly recommend it. But because we're also critical thinking moms, and we do question a lot of things. We do have to question certain mainstream practices. So in the mainstream pediatric registered dietitian world in general, they've been programmed to believe that salt is not only bad, but potentially dangerous, like added sodium for babies. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to let you in on a little secret. I was not freaked out about salt at all because I know that real salt, like Redmond sea salt, is a mineral. And it's necessary for our bodies and babies. And also, it's really not practical when you bring your baby with you to a restaurant to try to determine, like, how much sodium is in this portion I'm giving to my baby. And I wasn't going to let that deter me from baby led weaning. And April, if it's cool with you, I have this article up from our favorite Lily Nichols. So, And we'll link it. Uh, we, We have to read this because if you are panicked about adding sodium to your baby's meals, and this is why you're doing those controlled, you know, baby pouches or baby food jars because you want to feel like you're in control. You don't want to injure your baby. We have to read this. It's called Don't Add Salt to Baby Food, the Surprisingly Weak Evidence for Infant Sodium Requirements. So why do conventional recommendations limit sodium for babies? Good question, she says. After asking half a dozen experts in pediatric nutrition and baby-led weaning, mostly fellow dietitians, I was left with more questions than answers about sodium intake in babies. So, 
The most common reason given for avoiding salt in baby food was the argument that their kidneys are too immature to process excess salt, but none of them were able to point me to peer-reviewed literature on the topic. Mm, surprise, surprise. That meant, yeah, surprise, surprise. Once again, you have the experts who have been programmed by their specialized schooling and their textbooks. They're not programmed to ask critical questions back to their professors just to consume and regurgitate the information. But our friend Lily Nichols, well, it'd be cool if she was our friend. <laughs> hey, Lily, if you're listening to this, we'd love to have you on the podcast. But so here's what Lily did next. That meant I needed to do it. So she's saying, I scoured the literature for weeks and ultimately came up empty handed. Most of what I found was in relation to preterm infants mm -hmm. needing increased, get a load of this, increased amounts of sodium, not less. Wow. Wow, that sounds like the opposite advice that we're given. Hmm. But what about term infants who are now around six months old and starting solids? Nothing came up. She then came across a summary from a group of researchers who were tasked with examining the nutrition guidelines for accuracy and identifying areas where the evidence was weak. Now, this is where she started finding answers. And guess what? Mm. To her surprise, the infant guidelines on sodium are a massive guesstimate. Mm. Do you want to know how the sodium limit for babies was actually set? Sure. The guidelines on sodium for infants are what's called, quote, an adequate intake or AI. The guidelines opt for an adequate intake when there is not enough evidence to set an estimated average requirement or EAR. So in a nutshell, an adequate intake level is the daily average nutrient intake based on estimates of what a healthy group of people consume in their diet. It is assumed that because this group of people is generally healthy, then their intake of that particular nutrient, in this case salt, must be adequate. Oh, man. So, I don't even want right? to know how you define a generally healthy person these days. <laughs> Correct. Because can, can we all admit that if you're in the standard American lifestyle and diet, you're, you're probably having healthy. the worst kind of fake salt, the Morton salt with the girl and the umbrella in the front, which is five ingredients. It's not actual salt. It's just anti-caking agents. So this this goes on and on. But basically, mm -hmm. here's the bottom line. She discovered a fundamental flaw in the basis for the AI or the adequate intake. So look, if you remember just nothing else but this, adequate intake is really just an average intake. An average intake is a moving target when breast milk sodium levels vary widely, mm -hmm. as does the amount of sodium in solid food. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, not all infants consume the same amount of breast milk. Yeah. Unless a mother is exclusively pumping, it is actually impossible to quantify the exact amount of breast milk consumed by an infant. That's right. Moreover, right, intake varies on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll link the article so you can read the whole thing, but I just want to say... One last thing. The, this document cited, the document she found, it cited zero research connecting sodium intake to adverse outcomes in infants. None. They also failed to address the concerns raised by this expert, this Dr. Allen, of varying sodium intake in breast milk from back in 2007. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. What do we think of that, April? Well... We talked about that a long time ago when I was like, oh, Katie says to limit salt. Like, how are you doing that? So right. Eden has had, I'm, I add a lot of salt to everything. <laughs> the salt we yeah. love. The we, real, we the real deal. The real Redmond sea salt. Now, the other thing I want to talk about, which 
I wasn't expecting, because you said how we stay the course, is yes. when your baby is teething, it mm. is totally normal and should be expected that they will go through a food strike. So Eden, yes. gosh, this girl got her teeth early. But anyway, she was cruising. Like you said, we did the 100 first foods. I was really impressed with some of the things that this child ate before she was a year old. It was like I was 30 before I tried some of these foods and it was because <laughs> of her. But we were cruising and she just seemed fearless with her eating. And I was so impressed. I loved it. I know you felt the same way. But when they teeth, they are in so much discomfort and they don't understand why they're going to stay on the boob even more than normal. And it's not uncommon for them to just completely reject food. And it was so disheartening. I'm like, what happened to my brave eater? She's not eating. Now I'm worried, like, is she getting enough? Is she losing weight? Like, what's going on? She will get what she needs. Your your child will get what he or she needs from your breast milk. Even if the volume seems like radically less than what they're used to eating, they're getting enough. They're just going through it and like stay the course, keep introducing, keep sitting down at mealtime, offering them the meal. Don't force them and don't try to negotiate. Like I would try and pick up the spoon and be like, come on. And I would do all the things that I know I'm not supposed to do to try and force it. She would like rear her head back, like bucking against it, crying, open mouth. And I would be like, zoop. And I try and swoop in some food and just like show her like, you do like this. And it was like, okay, I'm I'm traumatizing her by trying to force her when she's not ready to eat. We also don't want to do the if then I overheard my nanny do it, and I was like, Hunter, we got to stop this. But she was like, we can go on a paseo if you finish your lunch. And it's like, no, we don't Mm want to create this habit of feeling like you have to finish everything on your plate. So just offer it, stay consistent, offer balanced meals. And if they take it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. And it doesn't mean that your baby's like anti-food. They will come back, especially after they're teething or any other big developmental leap. It's not uncommon for them to regress a little bit with the food because they just need a lot of comfort. And that comes from you and your boobies. Absolutely. And so I want to second what April said and that you might be really alarmed. For example, if your baby is teething and your baby maybe had two bites of food all day for two days, like that can feel really scary. So scary. However, right? Like, oh my God, they must be starving. However, remember this, if you're offering food at normal times, right? And you're offering different foods that they normally like, and they just don't want to eat it. Just trust in nature, trust in their bodies. And remember too, when you're feeling under the weather, do you want to eat a full meal? Not always, right? You might not have an appetite. So let's continue to place realistic expectations on our babies. And remember, we don't always have an appetite Mm -hmm. when we're under the weather. Mm -hmm. And then, but we're still fine, right? Right. So they will be too. Now, do we want to also talk about Going out to eat and traveling and doing baby lad weaning? Um, if we have time. Because I, I, well, I also want to yeah. talk about why we're anti-pouch and jarred food. Oh, puree. let's start with that. Okay. That's more juicy. Okay. Well, let's start with you. Tell me why you're against it. I mean, I know we're against it for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that it's important. So Eden was tongue-tied, right? 
And Mm -hmm. part of her training was like the phasic biting, like where you just like, we really want to try and chomp, chomp, chomp. And so the worst thing you can do for tongue-tied babies is introduce purees because they're not developing the crunch, the chewing, those, that motor development is super important. They already know the consistency of purees because they've had it their whole lives through your breast milk. It's pretty much the mm-hmm. same. So what we need to be doing with baby led weaning is introducing new textures and new development, yes. right? So we want to be chewing and all that. Yes. And also we're against purees for the most obvious reason, which is they're full of shit. <laughs> you yes. have... Now, even- I know... There's moms out there who are like, but my purees are the are USDA organic ones. They don't have seed oils. They don't have added sugar. What would you say to that? Well, what do you think makes their shelf life so strong? Right. It's right? not normal for those foods from nature to be preserved in a plastic pouch on a shelf. Yeah, exactly. That's not really how we were designed to eat If you want to do purees, by the way, because Katie Ferraro's plan does recommend like the first week doing some purees. We skipped that because we didn't want to do purees. If you're going to do purees, just do it at home. Really. Right. Just boil some sweet potatoes, blend it up and offer that. Mm -hmm. But there's no, there is no good reason aside from convenience for you, which would be to go buy some thing off the shelf that has also I can't remember which brand it was but they had recently discovered Mm. so much of those pouches had lead ah terrifying gross so and so I have a hot take on purees I think a lot of moms are going to crucify me for saying this but I actually just I despise them because people say like oh they're for convenience like it's so much easier I actually think purees are a nightmare because they're so messy. They usually smell like, you know, especially the vegetable purees, but they're so messy. Moms, if you want less of a mess to clean up, like I do not want to be cleaning up these crazy like finger painting food messes, offer solids. Like my favorite Mm. foods where it was like minimal cleanup are things like eggs, like things that just like stick together Mm -hmm. or even um, meat that mm-hmm. you know shreds apart easily between your fingers that you put in the crock pot mm-hmm. i loved people were shocked when we would offer our babies like actual meat, meat. i'm not talking ground like hamburger meat but you know like pulled pork or ribeye short yeah. rib so if you don't have a i will tell you this this is going to save your life if you don't have a crock get yourself a crock or a and dutch in the morning oven. just throw in dutch oven throw in some stock some mm-hmm. some carrots and potatoes start offering different cuts of meat. Here's how you can tell if it's safe for a new eater in baby led weaning. If you can shred it between your finger and your thumb, it's safe enough for baby to eat between their gums. We did get that from Katie of baby led wean team. And at this point, I'm not even kidding, like when we have dinner, so our son is a year and a half old, I would say for the past few months. So shortly after he was a year old, I think we wanted to wait until he got at least a couple of molars in. We're offering not just the shreddable meat, but actual like medium rare strips Eden has of steak been that we make. Ribeye steaks for probably way too long. <laughs> I remember like sharing that with you. Of like, she was like eight months oh. old. I'm like, she had a, she had ribeye for lunch, and you're like, uh, <laughs> that might be a choking like, hazard. That sounds really but good. But she 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 did crushed it. it. So they're capable. Yeah. The 
They finger are. and the thumb is a good one. And then when you have brand new eaters, the other recommendation we took from her program was that you make the cuts as long as your pinky. So yes, it's counterintuitive, yeah, okay, so right? Yeah, counterintuitive because you think smaller baby, we need smaller pieces, but that's not true because mm-hmm. that contributes to a choking hazard. So bigger pieces like the length of your pinky are the pieces that we should be introducing brand new eaters so they can hold yes. on to it with their fists. Eden's panicking, yes. so we got to probably wrap this up. But okay, um, okay. So we can always do a part two if I think be, we should we do a part two because we want yeah. to get into utensils. We want to get into That's how true. we introduced the foods and what foods we went through and how we prepared yeah. them. I think there's still some meat on the bone <laughs> for this. I episode. agree. I think we. I think we could also do like a glimpse into a day in the life of our children. Yeah, like, what do we meals. offer children for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks? Our listeners ask and that travel. question all the time. Is like, but hey, what are you yes. actually providing? And we do have a, a highlight on our Instagram page of baby led weaning, but we haven't added to that in quite some time. So we'll do a part two and we'll get into all the extra details. Yes. But this was definitely a good starting place of preparing for baby led weaning. Yes. So okay, with I love that, it. we got a deuce. Eden has been upset for this whole hour. Oh, gosh. So oh, gosh. Okay, go. let me let you go. All right, and we'll get into travel too. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We are so grateful for your loyalty and support. If our content has made an impact on your life and you are feeling philanthropic, please consider making a financial contribution. Your contribution helps to fund all aspects of our operations so this community can flourish. You may make a donation via the link in our show notes or on our website. We love to see how far and wide our community expands. So if you share an episode that you liked on your Instagram stories, Don't forget to tag us. Also, leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts as well as a star rating on Apple or Spotify is the best way to help other like-minded moms discover our podcast. If you are in need of deeper, more individualized support from the two of us, we offer virtual consults, birth processing sessions, and we'll even send you a written response to any question that's on your mind, including our recommended resources. Click the link in the show notes to book. And don't forget to check out our archive of resources, which are continuously expanding, including our eBooks. You can find all of this and so much more on our website, www.momsofftherecordpod.com. Until next time.